Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am so glad you are here. Welcome, everyone. And if you're new, we're glad you found us. If you're not new, welcome back. It wasn't too long ago that I had a mom, I guess it was a couple years ago, I had a mom sitting in my kitchen and I do this a lot. I think I end up with families that come over and moms that come over and chat about their, their struggles that they're having with their kids and their screens. And I remember this one mom sitting at my kitchen table. She has six children and four of them are boys. And I remember so clearly her talking about her four older teenage boys and she had just gotten them smartphones. And I asked if she was worried about them just sort of getting into some content that maybe they shouldn't be getting into. And, and the look on her face was just so amazing to me. She looked at me and said, Melanie, there is just no way that my boys are going to fall into any pornography content. And even if they did, they would never watch it. And I, I just, my oldest was in the other room, Adam, and he heard that and he came in and he just looked at that mom and he said, do you have a 16 year old in your house? Do you have a 17? Do you have a 14 year old? And she's like, yes, I have four. And he said, ma'am, I just have to tell you that you've got a big blind spot. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're right. And as parents, it, it, it's just really interesting how Adam just immediately was able to sit down actually and talk to her about what her boys are probably doing on their phone. And, you know, he told her that he felt like they were just way too young to have all that internet in their pocket at such a young age. And as I sit there and watch her, I remember the feelings that I had when my oldest, when Adam was really struggling with all of this. And I thought, you know what, Adam, you're so right. And the blind spot for parents is huge. And it's because we just love our kids so much and we just don't want to think anything bad is ever going to happen to them, but it will. And we have to really get real about what is happening to our kids. And so as a result of all the work that I do here with Screen Strong and all the research that I do and with my medical background and all the doctors I talk to in the last five or six years, I have learned so much about pornography and kids and teenagers and how the teen brain is very different from an adult brain and even different from a child's brain and how it can cause so many scars and so much pain for this age group. And so today we are just so blessed and thrilled to have a young man come and speak with us. In fact, a 17 year old come speak with us about this topic. His name is Smith Alley, and he has an incredible story about how his experience with this has gone. So Smith, welcome so much to our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on here and to be able to shed some light and talk about my story. Definitely. So we have parents listening and we probably have some teenagers listening. And, you know, this is just a tough topic. I just am amazed that you were able to sit and talk about this as much as you do and spread the word to parents to just, I think, start to erase the blind spots that we have and that our culture has on this, right? So tell me how you how you got passionate about educating people on this topic. Yeah, I mean, I think that 
my passion comes from my background. It comes from my story. And so I guess I'll just start there. So I think the root of everything and like my first interaction and my first my first glimpse of the real world was when I was in kindergarten, first, second grade, I had a really bad stutter and I got made fun of for it. You know, I just remember a lot of jokes were made and, you know, just a lot of things like that. And so it kind of was the root of all of my insecurities going forward in life. I remember it wasn't until like third or fourth grade that we saw development in speech therapy and those jokes kind of laid off. And But it was at that point where it didn't matter if the kids at school were making fun of me because I already was making fun of myself and I was already really hard on myself. And it got to the point at nine years old where I was exposed to pornography um, unintentionally, just, you know, a super innocent exposure. And Mm -hmm. my parents had always talked to us about pornography since we were very young and what we needed to do when we saw it and everything like that. And so, you know, I got out of the situation fairly quickly. I turned off the tablet that I was on. But I think shame drove me to not tell anyone about it. And I just kind of continued on the way. And I didn't think at that moment I realized that I had remembered and I will have remembered um, the kind of chemical dump that that porn had made me feel. So about a year and a half later, I'm 10, 10 and a half years old. I remember, uh, you know, getting into that stage of life where you're going into middle school and life's hard and you're dealing with hormones and, you know, friend drama and kids are way too grown up than they should be. And um, there's a lot of stuff like that. And I remember, you know, getting into social media and because of social media, I was just comparing myself to everyone. I was kind of, I was a taller, but still chunky kid. And so I was really insecure about my body and just super insecure, always comparing myself. And then I got involved in pornography again. And because of the way I felt about myself, pornography was a fake sort of love that I felt was the only love that I was worthy of. Hmm. And that chemical release and the feelings that it made me feel were kind of the only things that I felt worthy of. And I you know, I have an amazing family, but I continued to keep them at like an arm's distance and because I was afraid of them finding out what's wrong. And so I got 10 and a half and going on, I got pretty heavily involved in pornography and, you know, super young age. And at 13 to 14 years old, I was viewing pornography anywhere from four to six times a day. And I was in a terrible spot mentally. I was super depressed but I was always good at putting masks on and I was always good at, you know, even though I wasn't the normal happy kid that I had been in my youth, I was really good at like faking that sometimes and trying to throw my parents and my family off the path of what was happening. I remember just like knowing all the ways of how to get through loopholes and get behind my parents' backs and through the technology restrictions that they had and I was super good at that stuff. At that point, I had just kind of given up and everything that I did was to numb myself. And so I'd spend a lot of time on social media, just numbing myself. But then that made me feel worse. I spent a lot of times on video games and doing stuff like that to try and escape reality in any way that I could. And um, as I continued to do all this stuff, 
uh, my mental state just got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, pornography led me into some other stuff that um, ultimately ended up in my parents finding out about what everything that I was going through. And that was brought into the light when I was 14 years old. You know, what felt at that day, like I was so scared that day and I was just worried for my life and for my future. And, you know, my parents were worried and they were scared. And But I think looking back, we see that as one of the best days of our lives because it was the day that we were able to finally see the problem that was in our lives and that we were able to address that and we can move forward and we could fight that. That was that was the first big step. And being able to realize like, okay, now I can fight this. And, you know, that day, my parents showing me a lot of love. It really meant a lot. And I think it was a way that I think it was a way that I was shown that like, you know, I'm worth more than the love that pornography can give me. And I'm worth more than what social media tells me I'm worth. And I'm worth more all of this than all of this stuff that I've been told by technology and, you know, just by society itself. And so after that experience, my parents acted very quickly. I got into a program called Sons of Helaman. It's a religious program for boys in my same church and uh, struggling with self-mastery and pornography. And I got into that. And then, you know, I started seeing a therapist and started, you know, my parents got rid of the iPod touch that I'd been using and we went straight to a flip phone and that was great. I loved Mm -hmm. my flip phone. (laughs) And, you know, we just started making all these different changes. I remember just every day I was putting one foot in in front of the other, um, trying my best to resist urges and, you know, trying my best to overcome this problem that I'd been struggling with. And, you know, I worked very hard and I think that's something that kids especially don't realize like it takes a lot of work to overcome this this stuff but it's worth it I think that a lot of the times parents kind of get this idea in their head where it's like okay we'll just stop watching pornography mm-hmm. but we don't realize that pornography has three times the receptors as heroin because not only is it chemical but it's visual and emotional as well pornography is as real of an addiction as drug use and alcoholism and all of these things and so you know, I was just putting one foot in front of the other, trying to do my best, trying to be my best, trying to work on myself, you know, regain my relationships, be the son that I always wanted to be, but I wasn't, you know, working hard to serve my parents and do everything like that. We underestimate how much of a hole that pornography can tear in our families and how much space that it can put in relationships. You know, I think that a lot of the times when kids, especially my age, you know, middle school to high school age are struggling and when they're acting up at home and when they're not being the person that you always thought they were, I think that a lot of the times that's because they're struggling with something. And I think many of the times we falsely write this off as a stage or a phase. That's a big mistake that has been made. And because, you know, all kids deserve to be happy. And so I worked really hard to, you know, be happy again and to try and be in a better place. And after about a year, almost a year and a half, I decided that, you know, I had told my immediate family already, but I wanted to spread more light on the issue and my struggles. And so I was going to EFY, which is a church camp. I remember I decided the night before that I went that I would share my story with every all of the boys that I was dorming with. And so there were the my best friend that I was going with and then four other boys in our dorm. And that first night, you know, we were just talking in our dorm and I told them everything that I was going through that I had gone through. Um, I was 15 at this time. I just remember one of them 
who is still one of my good friends today that I care about a lot, came up to me and he said that he had been feeling the same way. He had been struggling with pornography, um, struggling with social media. You know, his parents had tried to put restrictions on, but he knew the the restrictions code and everything like that. So he asked me that night to sit down and take some time to put good restrictions on his phone. So I did that. We started talking and, you know, we'd hang out all the time after we got home from this from this camp. And I think that's when I fell in love with helping people. And that's when I realized that I wanted to do so more than just better myself. But I wanted every because I knew that every kid my age was struggling. And this is something that you talked about before, like this mom didn't think that their kids would ever be involved in this stuff. But and that was a few years ago. Now it's inevitable that kids, especially teenage boys, are involved in pornography. And then, you know, everybody's highly involved in social media and how that makes people feel and the effects of on the mental health that that has. And so I decided that I didn't want to just be a success story. I, j- I wanted to be a success story that's helping other success-, success stories. So I got home from this church camp, felt better than I'd ever felt before after helping this kid um, who I'm still in touch with today and, you know, felt amazing and I just needed more and I needed to help more people. And so I went to my lacrosse team and we, we would be at practices and I just started talking about how I had had a big problem with pornography and so there was one day after a game where I was going to Sons of Helaman and I had five other teammates come with me. Again, like just watching these kids become better versions of themselves was amazing. And I fell in love with it. And then for my Eagle Scout project, I did a fireside and got involved with that. And then COVID hit, you know, I just had this passion to keep going and keep going. And I'd been working at Chick-fil-A for two and a half years at this time. And I decided to quit to start my company called Protect Strong, where I go into families' homes and help them set up technology so that it's safe and, um, you know, help them with that and try and reunite the family and their goals of media and everything like that. And so it was at that point where I really set my mind on this being my mission. And then I got in, got in contact with Colin Karchner and met him and went on his podcast and started working with him a little bit, was able to follow him and speak with him at different events and even the Utah Coalition Against Pornography in the fall of last year. Every time that I went somewhere, spoke somewhere, whatever it was, there was a result where I was thanked for my work because it was so necessarily needed. And because that family was hurting and because a kid was hurting, every time that happened, it just gave me more fire and it just gave me more motivation to be able to continue my message and continue this passion that I have to help others and to, you know, I remember vividly even today still feeling the way that I'd felt when I was 14 years old. And I remember that feeling and I don't want any other kid to have to go through that. And I don't want anybody to have to feel that way. And so being able to fuel this passion, being able to do everything that I'm doing, you know, now I've started the Live Life Bigger Foundation and I'm I'm trying to start speaking more and put out resources like podcasts. And as I just continue to fuel that passion, it's fueled with other people's success stories. So I've really just fallen in love with it. You know, I think that I have so much passion for this because at a really young age, I went through a lot. You know, now I'm, I'm grateful for that. There's a quote and it says, I'm grateful for my struggles because without them, I wouldn't have found my strengths. And so I've been blessed to be able to find my find my strengths and be able to help other people. Love it. Love your story. It is, I hate to say, too typical 
there are so many people that are struggling with this and young kids, but I love the fact that you can get out and talk about it because we have to continue to raise awareness and get light on this topic. This is tearing up our families. It's tearing up our kids. And I love what you just said about never forgetting that feeling. I feel the same way with all the struggles that we had with my oldest. And I promised myself at that point in time, you know, 10 years ago that I was never going to forget those feelings because parents need to have other people out there that can empathize with them. And that's what you're doing. And, and by being transparent, you are really, really helping so many people. So you mentioned how parents miss the issue in their home and how they think it's just a stage or a phase. Talk about that just a little bit more. How do they miss it? I know we have a blind spot, you know, we all have blind spots, but talk about from your perspective, now looking back, like a third party, almost looking back, what were some things your parents missed? I mean, I think it it just all stems from behavior and because you feel so terrible about yourself, there's no need to treat other people well. There's no need for any of that. And so I think that, you know, growing up, I was always a super happy kid, smiley. But then as I was going through these struggles, a lot of that changed and I was super contentious. And and I think a lot of parents see this in their kids. I doubt that there's a parent out there listening who doesn't see this in any one of their kids. And I doubt that there's someone listening whose kid is just happy all the time, not contentious. You know, that's kind of a stage that we that we write off. And, you know, I think that we write that off that way because kids nowadays, especially, are going through more than they've ever had to go through. Yeah. And they're going through really hard stages of life. I think we underestimate how much they're dealing with. You know, it's hard to be struggling with these type of things, with depression, with pornography, with social media, with whatever it is. It's really hard to be struggling with that and still have a heart of gold, right? So I think that I think that looking back on my story, I think that it was the same thing, you know, behavior contention. And it's not who I am at my at like at my center. I'm that's not who I am. I'm loving and I I love my family with all my heart. And I really believe that every kid is like that. And I believe that every kid, you know, everybody wants to do good in the world. But a lot of the times we get dragged down by these these struggles that we have to deal with. And so I think that looking back, my parents always knew that there was something wrong. They didn't know what it was. You you have to know that when your kid's acting like that, there's something wrong. It's not just life. It's not just who they are, but there's something wrong. And so I think that our biggest mistakes, our biggest mistake in what we did as a family is just ignore that and mm. um, not take that intuition of there's something wrong and not follow that. In somewhat, somewhat they did follow that. And we had a lot of conversations about pornography and we had a lot of this stuff, but I felt like it was always as a kid, you know, hey, Smith, have you ever encountered pornography? It's different now where we need to talk to our kids in a way that when was the last time you encountered pornography? What are you struggling with? You know, I see your heart. I see that your heart's in a a dark place or that you're struggling and in the way that you're treating me and the rest of your family. Like, what's the issue? Let's fix this. Let's create a safe environment where you can tell us and we won't freak out at you. Things like that. I think that's where my family could have done a lot better in reacting and in taking that intuition that my parents had and acting on that and trying to get to the bottom of things and talking more of when instead of if, I think is really important. 
I love the point you're making about intuition because we always say, you know, if you have a gut feeling your kids are addicted to their screen somehow, then they are. By the time you have that gut feeling, it's usually not at the beginning of the problem. It's usually kind of well into it. And so I think more and more parents need to really trust, like you just said, that intuition that they have. They don't understand. I think they're blind spots. And again, this I use the term blind spots because we love our kids and we don't want to think anything negative is going to happen to them. And so we have this protective factor. I don't know if it's if it's just kind of inborn in a parent, the minute you have a child, you know, you just want to protect them and you don't want to believe anything bad. And like that mom sitting at the kitchen table with me, she was adamant that her children were never going to be hunting or for this stuff or that it was ever even going to fall into their path. And she was so shocked when my son told her, listen, I can tell you right now, your kids are watching this stuff. And, you know, she was so shocked. I, I just remember the look on her face and and her her visible body language was complete and utter disbelief. And this is the problem in our culture. We can't be scared, crazy, and clueless about this stuff. We have to know exactly what we're up against. And it doesn't mean that we need to talk about pornography every hour of the day. But, but as parents, you have to set the tone in your house. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about here, where it's something that can be talked about easily. When you're talking about conversations here, let's touch on this for a minute. I know that there's a lot of, I guess, advice out there to parents that say you need to set limits, you need to have conversations. I know that we have to have conversations. You know that we have to have conversations. But do you feel like sometimes we rely a little too heavy on conversations to be sort of the be all end all? Well, I had the talk with him, so I guess he's okay. <laughs> you know, is that a tendency to just think, oh, check the box, I had the conversation? Yeah, I, I, I totally think that's the case. And I think that a lot of the times we, we hope that if you've had the talk, then you're good and everything that comes out of your kid's mouth. Again, it's the same thing where you think that your kid's perfect and you think that they're never going to mess up. And I think that if we continue to believe that, kids always going to tell the truth and they're going to tell you if they've been exposed to pornography or are addicted to it. I think that if we believe that we um, write them off as being inhuman and I think that we need to make sure and that we need to remember that kids are human and that we make mistakes and that we're not always going to tell you the truth during the talk. I mean, I know that I had probably over 25 talks with my parents about pornography while I was viewing pornography and all the time I told them no and that I told them that I'd seen it a few times and but had always turned off the computer. And then they'd ask me why I didn't tell them. And then I'd tell them that I just forgot. But really, I was viewing pornography three to four times a day at that point. And we need to remember that our kids are human and that, you know, they're ashamed of this thing and that we need to make it so that they feel safe and that they feel comfortable with talking to us about it so that we can have the conversation. But I think if we feel that all we have to do is have a conversation. We are deeply wrong in that in that sense. If we rely on that conversation, we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you, you have to talk the talk, but you also have to walk the walk. And so have the conversation, but also do other things, you know. So what are other things that you that you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's I think there's a lot that you can do, whether it's trying to delay smartphones with a gab phone or setting up restrictions. I mean, there's softwares after softwares that can help with proactive measures so that you know what your kids are up to online. Listen, I completely understand that 
a lot of your kids can be wor- worthy of trust and they can be trustworthy and they'll tell the truth. But you also have to understand that you can't trust the internet today. N- now being 2021, the the internet is anxious to show not only your young men, but your young woman pornography. And it's anxious to get your kids hooked to that. There's a sense that, you know, our kids don't mess up. And I think that we have to completely eliminate that. I think that we have to expect our kids to mess up and let them know that that's our expectation. Also tell them that it's not about making mistakes. Life's not about making mistakes. Who you are, you aren't defined by the mistakes you make, but you are defined by the way that you handle them. When you come to your parents and you tell them about your your mistakes, that makes you a good person. And that makes you a fabulous person struggling with pornography, struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety, eating disorders, whatever it is, that doesn't make you a bad person. That makes you human. And that makes you a normal kid. And I'll tell you right now, after talking with all the kids that I've talked to, you know, throughout the last two years of my journey, there is nobody who isn't struggling. There is not a single soul who is perfect. And there's not a single kid who um, has never been involved in anything at all. And I think that we have to eliminate the idea that there is and that we have to let our kids know that being a good person isn't about what you do, but what you do after that and how you handle that. Like I said, they're going to struggle over and over and over. But the crucial thing is that we teach our kids how to handle their struggles. And instead of asking them if they're struggling, we ask, we start asking them how they're struggling and how they're handling that struggle. Because even today, just recently, like the first part of February was terrible for me. And I felt like I'd kind of fallen into the same, you know, depression that I'd been in a while back. And I started dealing with some suicidal thoughts again, just stuff like that, where I'm always going to struggle with that. And inside, there's always going to be that first grade kid who's insecure about himself because of his stutter and his weight. And I'm always going to have that inside, but how am I going to deal with that? You know, am I going to hide from it? Am I going to not tell anyone? Or am I going to address the issue, talk to my parents about it, talk to my friends about it, talk to my therapist about it, and do all of this stuff, and then go and save someone's life with it? I think if we can teach our kids to use their struggles to turn them into their strengths, And if we teach our kids that it's okay to struggle as long as we deal with it the right way and that how you deal with it defines who you are, then I think the the conversation completely changes and we can put our kids in a light where they can feel comfortable talking to us about struggles because they know that it's about how they deal with them that counts. And so I think that's one of the most crucial things in having the conversation is how are we having the conversation? Right now, for a lot of parents, for a lot of families, we're having that conversation in the wrong way. Well, I think you're exactly right. What you're describing is more of the relationship part. Yeah, we have the conversations, but do you really have a relationship with your kid? And that's what you're describing. And for most parents out there, you know, they think they have a relationship with their kids, but when they really look at how much time are they spending with them? What are they doing when they're at home? What are they allowing into their kid's life? I'm always very strong on this point of not allowing the wrong thing at the wrong time in your kid's life. In my medical background and my mom background and raising four children and just my common sense tells me that with any addiction, with any problem, there has to be access. And so for me as a parent 
to really get my kids to trust me, which is really what my job is right now. I want my kids to trust me like a good coach. You mentioned earlier about trusting kids. You know, Smith, kids really aren't trustworthy and that's okay. They're just not at that developmental stage yet. It's like a stage in development and trust is really for adults. And so we can't beat ourselves up as parents thinking, well, I should have trusted him or I didn't trust him or I trusted him too much. No, we, we can't trust kids. We, it's not that we don't love them. We love them to death, but we, we just can't trust them. They're just not in that stage quite yet. Like I said, trust is an adult character quality. And so I think parents need to take a big breath and not feel bad that they don't trust their, their kids. It's not about trust. It's about trusting the internet, like you said. And so because we can't trust the internet, some of the things that parents can do is limit access and uh, and while we can't put our kids in a bubble, of course, and that's not what we're not, ta- you know, we're not talking about that, but we're talking about being there for your, your kids, being there to love them, to have the conversations, but also to put the limits up. So talk about that just for a minute about the limits that you think will work or might work. And I'm not just talking about parental controls, even though everybody needs to have some kind of parental control on their screens, but I'm talking about access. Like if you had grown up just literally without that eye touch, right? Or, um, and I'm not blaming your parents, listen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, we have stuff all over our house, but maybe if parents can hear your story and take away some real practical things, like, can we, you know, change the access, the kind of access they're having on their phone? Do they need to have their laptop in their bedroom? No. Do they need to have those little eye touches everywhere? I mean, talk about that for a minute and what you think about access. Yeah. I mean, I think that just a general philosophy for access and parental controls is you are your kid's parent, not their friend. And so the first thing you need to ask yourself is, am I getting this device or am I giving them this access because I want to be their friend or is it because I'm trying to be their parent? And I think that we need to think about like a lot of times we don't do anything for our kids. There's a lot of parents who aren't doing anything for their kids. And then there's protecting your kids. But I think the biggest thing that we need to do right now is prepare our kids for the real world, for what's coming. I mean, Melanie, I'll just tell you right now, I grew up always super independent. My parents raised me to be independent. I got my first job when I was 14 at Chick-fil-A. I worked my butt off there and became a manager at 16. And I've always had that drive and had a sense of independence in that way. You know, when my struggles were brought into the light with my parents, um, the conversation that we had was, okay, well, obviously I can't handle what I have right now, right? Mm -hmm. So take away the iPod Touch. My parents thought that was the right move at first. You know, they always said you can have a real phone when you can sign your own Um, Yeah, when you can sign your own contract. So here's an iPod Touch, which is different. They didn't know that it was the exact same and even worse. (laughs) So, you know, we took we took that away. And it was kind of honestly, it was conversation and we be it became a team effort between me and my parents. And because I was, you know, I started to become more vulnerable and honest with them. We were able to turn that into a team effort. And so it was, you know, first we went to the slide phone, right? Just 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 call and text. And we went to that first. And then at some point, I felt more confident in myself and my parents want to prepare me for the real life. So then we take a step towards, you know, a smartphone that is completely locked down. So it's basically just talking text and there's nothing else on there. And then as I've grown older, you know, I'm going to be 18 and gosh, seven months now. And so 
as I'm growing older, we continue to let out a little rain that I know that I can control. And then there's also things that I know that I can't handle if I have it on my phone, right? That's right. And right. so as a team, my parents, I have a, I have an iPhone and I have my email and talk and text and, you know, some other things, but I don't want the distraction A of social media, right. the temptation that that comes with it, just the fact that it's a complete utter waste of time. So I don't have Instagram on my phone. I, you know, I despise Snapchat. And so I don't have that or any other social media on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a team effort. And I don't want those distractions on my phone. Right. And I don't want Safari on my phone because, again, it's a distraction. It's a temptation. And so I think the goal is to get into that situation where it's a team effort. But again, access has to be different for everybody. And it's not a universal thing. And so I think personally, like, you have to figure it out with your kids and trying to get to that relationship and conversation yeah. and spending time with them and knowing what are their strengths and their weaknesses and what they can handle and what they can't. I think starting from limited, no to limited access, very limited access is always the case. You don't want to baptize them by fire either into the technology world. And so starting with nothing or very little and then, you know, having that open conversation and what needs to be an open relationship with you know, how are you doing with this? And is this something that you can still handle? Right. Well, I don't think any kids can handle it. I think there's a lot of adults that can't handle it. And I, so I think, um, for hundreds of years, kids have been becoming independent without smartphones. Right. So obviously we live in a different world now, but my, I'm curious to ask you just in a hypothetical situation, say you're 17 right now. And just what if your parents had made a decision not to give you a smartphone or these small screens, because the small screens are where we have to admit most of the problems are coming from, Uh you know, do you think getting a phone and access to more of this kind type of content now would be a little bit easier for you to handle versus when you were 10? Definitely. And I think that that's a mistake that we made is, you know, my parents said that we couldn't have a phone, but we had these smaller screens, iPod touches, tablets, you know, things that acted the same way. And I think that that's a mistake that we made. I really do believe that you should really think about it. You know, why are you giving them this device? What's the Mm -hmm. reason for it? Honestly, I don't like spending time on technology. That's partly because I know that I have problems managing it. So, you know, I try to spend as little time on my phone as possible. But there's also things right now where, you know, I need some technology in my life with running two businesses and I need a way to communicate and things like that. And so I think we need to start, especially as parents, asking why we're giving our kids this access or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. asking why instead of just throwing it at them because they want it. You know, why do they need it? And then when you get the answer, is that answer valid and is it necessary for them to have it in their development? (laughs) And should we wait till their brains are a little more mature? Because, I mean, we know we can't make our kids mature. It's a physiological thing. Like their frontal cortex isn't developed really until their 20s. And so, you know, they're getting there, but they're not there yet. And there's really no risk. There's some convenience factors, I guess, but there are other options, you know, to get in touch with people in this day and age. Um, So I just think that there's just an option out there that, that we forget about. It's like, oh yeah, I guess we can wait on this, you know, even until the late adolescent years. I think that what you have learned 
through all the jobs and the wonderful work that you've done, you know, even at Chick-fil-A and all that, that didn't have a lot to do with your phone. You, you got that independent based on your real life experience. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at, I guess, that, yeah. that we, we need to expose our kids to as much real life as possible, use the technology for a tool, but not as this rite of passage or something that we feel like we have to train them on. Cause obviously we, you know, it only takes a few minutes to learn how to use all this stuff yeah. and let their brains kind of develop better. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it's crucial to, um, again, prepare your kids. That doesn't, I mean, preparing doesn't mean uh, giving a lot of a lot of parents will say that you know if if I don't give my if I don't give my kids this technology now then mm-hmm. when they move out of the house they're just going to be submerged in it so I need to prepare them now that's not preparing your kids yeah what do you think about that that's a common thing that we get over here a lot it's the forbidden fruit myth you know they're going to binge if they don't have it now well they're they're going to binge now if they have it and so <laughs> I think that it's honestly a lazy excuse for parenting because they don't want to have to do a hard thing you know parenting's hard if you signed up for it you're going to have to do a hard thing and that's just that's just a fact so it's this balance that you have to get where you have to prepare your kids it's great to delay as much technology as you can that's that's a fantastic thing well, not to delay just a delay, but to delay to get them involved in other things. And you and I both know there's only 24 hours in the day. So, yeah. you know, you've got to do music and art and exercise and sports and being with your family and doing your chores and your life skills and having your job at Chick-fil-A. I mean, there's just not a whole lot of other time. <laughs> yeah. And any any time can be wasted. And I think that it's good for us to also try to limit the content that they're getting and, you know, trying to block out bad content. And just be like a good coach and just guide them through this these years and know that it's not going to be forever. This has just been so awesome. Oh my gosh, the time is just flying by. But I want to ask just a few more things really quickly. And this mm-hmm. is just totally off the cuff. I'm wondering what you think about gaming and boys that do a lot of gaming. Does that contribute at all to increased porn viewing? I know that a lot of the major big porn companies are targeting gamers and there's obviously a reason. And I'm just curious from your vantage point here, if you feel like gaming can be sort of a gateway to some of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Any escape from reality, anything that tries to numb yourself from the world that you're in will lead to other things like that. Um, I know going through the sons of healing, the sons of Helaman program, something big that we talked about is like, when we had a what we called a lost battle, so um, you know, if we slipped up and viewed pornography, we'd do a lost battle analysis with each other. Mm-hmm. And so it was, what were you doing at this point? You know, what were your mistakes so that we can try and learn from those? And one of the things that I noticed is that a lot of the times we'd we'd talk and we'd mention that our mistakes are first numbing out. And so kids would be like, "Well, my mistake is I was playing video games at eleven o'clock at night." So I'm tired and I'm numbing out and then that's going to lead to, you know, you're not on your game, your head's not where it should be. And then you can fall into temptation easier instead of I'm going to do the things that I need to do. I'm going to stick to the habits that I've set. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in this group where it's more religious, I'm going to, you know, at 11 o'clock, I'll be finishing my homework. I'll read my scriptures, say my prayers and go to bed. And that's it. So I think that it has definitely increased or I guess gaming can lead to increased pornography consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because it's it, it almost is a gateway, but it's another thing that's numbing you. That's what we need to step away from is 
any substance or any activity that's numbing you is not something that you should be partaking of. Right. No, and then you just said that it, it kind of like lets your guard down. And that's, I understand what you're saying because when kids get on games, they get, we call it in our house, we called it the game coma. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> so your guard is down. And especially when it's late at night like that, did a great job of explaining that. We have just really enjoyed your story. We have clarified that it really is possible for teens, I guess, to live without smartphones. <laughs> Sorry, teens, <laughs> if you're out there listening, not forever, but you know what, just enjoy other things in life and not have all these temptations in front of you all the time. And there's anxiety and depression and mood changes and all these things that parents may want to run to the doctor and find out what's wrong. You know, it could be a struggle with pornography. Kids are very not quick, I guess, to tell mom and dad about this. They want to please their parents all the time. We don't want our parents to be disappointed, you know, with us. And so I think this is how the cycle starts and how everything we get, you know, kids get caught in this. And we appreciate Smith, you just being so transparent and opening up. And I think just knowing there there are people out there that are going through these problems. This is what we need to face it ourselves, right? We need that community and we appreciate it so much. And before we wrap up, if you can think of just some final encouragement for the teenager out there who's listening and maybe their mom has made them, you know, listen <laughs> to this podcast, what could you say to them or how, how can you encourage them today in this moment? For any teens listening out there, first, I want to tell you, I get where you're at. Um, I'm sorry that us as a generation, we've had to go through the stuff that we go through. It's a lot. You know, we're dealing with a lot. The first thing is, I'm sorry that we have to deal with this. The second thing is, you know, the future of the world and our generation is going to be one that either crumbles or that succeeds so well. Be willing to be vulnerable and be willing to put yourself out there. And it's all right not to be perfect. It's okay not to be okay. And if there's something that you're dealing with, whatever it is, whether it's pornography or depression, anxiety, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts, whatever it is, tell someone, whether that's, you know, you're listening, your mom's making you listen in the car, turn to your parents, say, I've been bit, talk to them about your struggles. If that's a friend that you have to confide in, you know, if, if that's just telling, you know, DMing me or emailing me, sending me a message, sending screen strong a message where you can get that off your shoulders, get that burden off your shoulders. There's a quote, addiction is grown in solitude and destroyed in community. And I think that's not only with addiction, but all all struggles that we go through, um, we have to bring into the light if we want to take care of them. And so that's my message. We have such a divine potential, my generation. We have so much potential to do good and to do amazing things. And I just hope and I pray and I plead with the teenagers out there listening that we can shape up and that we can do these things and that we can deal with our problems and that we can be vulnerable. Parents, I just say that, you know, I know you're trying. I know it's hard. But again, always ask yourself before you do something, before you give something to your kids, why are you doing it? Try and bring your family together. Sit down with them. Talk about this stuff. Create media goals. I think the most important thing is build a relationship with your kids. And that's not just like know who they are and what their favorite food is and what they want for dinner and all that stuff. But build a real relationship We say a lot, you know, you should be a parent, not a friend. But I think that parents have an ability to give such a deeper relationship than a friend can. Build that with your kids so that they can trust you, so that they can be vulnerable with you, so that they can, so that you can be the person that they come to uh, with their struggles. I I love you guys, those listening. 
I feel for you and my heart breaks for you. You know, I hate that we have to deal with all these problems that we're dealing with. But, you know, I know that if you ask for help, if you're willing to be vulnerable, if you're willing to step out into the light a little bit more, you can get the help that you need. You can get what you need for you and your family. Smith, that was amazing. That was wonderful advice. And I will reiterate that for parents, especially that, you know, that you just build this deeper relationship with your, your kids. I love the way you said that, that, you know, you can't be their friends. You just got to have something deeper than that. You know, I think that spending time with our kids really solves so many of these problems, Smith. Yeah. (laughs) Just spending more time with them. And I know that sounds cliche, but it, it just does solve so many things. Smith, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Definitely. And we'll have your contact information here in our description. So I hope that everyone enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast with your friends and head over to our website to donate and to learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge. Make sure you join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where you'll find support from other parents just like you that are struggling. So remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong. Stay strong.